And let's reach for our Bibles. And uh, I hope you never get tired of that, reaching for your Bible. And I hope you look forward from week to week. Um, when I don't preach on a Sunday, I feel real funny the next Sunday. And you never quite know what's going to happen. And last Sunday, all I had to do was teach an adult Sunday school class combined with teenagers. We had a great time. And, and uh, they had asked me to challenge their congregation in a, in a particular way as they enter a building program there. But I guess with the extra energy I had from not preaching last week and looking forward to this week, I decided to write a poem to introduce our message today. It's a very special poem. And uh, I trust it will touch your heart. Um, I'm trying to capture what our text was about today. Isis, radon, sleet and snow. Cell phone makes my brain cells glow. Seat belts, sun rays, mountain dew. There's no end to things we do that cause us harm and make us blue. Smog and smoke and GMOs, earthquakes, sugar and UFOs. Must not miss the soccer game, Junior just might end up lame. Guns in schools, malls and churches, traffic leaves us in the lurches. Germs like MRSA and the flu can't avoid the measles too. Hands free only, buckle up. Climate change, it's warming up. Fracking, farming, save a whale, breathing smoke will make you pale. Now let me breathe in real slow. Do you think it's going to snow? Let me cover up my head with my pillow in my bed. Surely if I rise this day, something painful will I pay. Lord, please help me see your face. Guard my children and keep them safe. You feed the birds and clothe the flowers, and bring the spring and April showers. Could it be you know the number of my hairs and do not slumber? Lord, forgive my faltering pace. Help me trust you by your grace. Do you know that we lived in a stressed out world? Do you know that we live in a world that is filled with an instantaneous news cycle and information on all fronts telling us that there's just more about which to worry? I don't have to give examples. You know what kind of world we live in. You know what it is to feel overwhelmed about the next day, to be utterly exhausted and to wonder, how am I going to make it? What am I supposed to do about this? And what about that? And then there's my kids. And how are my grandkids ever going to make it? And on it goes. And we live in a, in, a, in a world of anxious worry. It could be that you think the Bible is an old, archaic, obsolete book. But I want to show you this morning that there is uh, hardly a text in all of scripture that could be more relevant for us than today. Haven't we found this true entirely about the Lord's prayer and the Lord's sermon on the mount, our Lord's sermon on the mount? We're in Matthew chapter 6. Let's read our text. Remember that the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ has been teaching and as he teaches the crowds and the masses there, he's been challenging them not to store up treasure on earth, but to lay up treasure in heaven. 
And no doubt, uh, the master teacher that he is, he understood the logical sequence of their thinking would be, okay, well, if I'm not supposed to care about the things of this earth, and I'm only supposed to care about the things of eternity and whatever it means to lay up treasure in heaven, then how am I going to eat? And how am I going to clothe myself? And how am I going to keep my family warm? And how can I live without caring about the things of this earth? And so the Lord says, therefore, I tell you, verse 25, Matthew 6, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." That is an incredible passage of Scripture. We're going to try to get our arms around it to begin with today in sort of a part one. I'm calling it an introduction to bird watching. Our Lord Jesus wants his children to be bird watchers. Next week, we'll try to take it up to bird watching 101 at least and make some specific and hopefully very practical applications. Because I want you to know that I know that this is an overwhelming issue in our culture. At the pace of life at which we live, the compression of time that goes on from all of our time-saving devices completely has us befuddled and overwhelmed and focused on our immediate circumstances in a way that takes away our confidence, destroys courage, and shakes us to our core. And our Lord Jesus says... Don't live like that. Start bird watching. I want us to kind of break down our passage today, and I want you to notice that, first of all, in our passage, in dealing with this topic of anxiety, that our Lord Jesus, first of all, speaks in such a way that we receive this instruction on anxiety, number one, that it's a command to be obeyed. Finding freedom from anxiety is literally a command from our Lord, which is to be obeyed. I want you to notice that three times in the passage, Jesus repeats himself, and he says in verse 25, do not be anxious. In verse 31, he says it again, do not be anxious. In verse 34, he says, do not be anxious. I don't know if you write in your Bible or not, but Those are the kinds of things that are helpful if you're not afraid to write in your Bible to just kind of strike a line under those three or connect them somehow so that as you read the text, you realize, 
Our Lord, three times in just a few minutes in this aspect of his message, looked at the audience. He looks at us today and he says, stop worrying. Now it's a command. He's not making a suggestion. When, when we tell our kids something that is a direct imperative like that, shut off your phone. We're not making a suggestion. Oh, honey boo bear, if you feel like stop texting and stop talking to your friends, shut off your... No, we say, shut off the phone. Stop it. It's a command. Now, I don't think our Lord was cross or ununderstanding, but I want you to realize the weight of His words are such that He's looking at us and He's telling His children, stop worrying. Now, you can say, that's easy to say. How do I do that? And I I hope that by the end of the message next week, we will have a better handle on that. But let's continue to, to glean what our Lord is teaching here. First of all, I want you to understand that the, I, the word anxious, translated anxious in our ESV, translated worry in some texts, um, it's interesting the, the source and derivative of words, where they uh, find their source and how they grow in meaning. Uh, this word ang- anxious, anxiety, it comes from a word with a German background to it, with the idea of choking or being strangled. Having the air cut off. It's a good word for anxiety, isn't it? I just feel overwhelmed. I I just can't handle it. The world presses in and chokes us to strangle. That's the idea. I want you to notice here as well that in his command to be obeyed, to stop worrying, and this recognizing that we're being choked by the cares of the world, that this passage is a reaction, as I've already referenced, to his previous paragraph. Let's let our eyes go to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So you're going to have to make up your mind here who you're going to serve in obeying God. The idea is that I'm going to either serve the things of this world or I'm going to serve God. I cannot serve money and God. And that if God is my master, then I am his servant. And the master is completely capable of taking care of his servant. And indeed, he will. Notice then in the text, as Jesus begins to to teach, that he does something as he often demonstrates to those of you who teach. Notice a little technique here. He's going to use a line of logic where he moves from the lesser to the greater to make his point. Now, now he goes... He talks about the basic necessities of life, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear on your body... Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. And the word look at there is the idea of of studying, of uh, staring at. It it has the idea of, of a prolonged gaze for observation. Christians are literally to be bird watchers. You're to take your coffee or your tea and your toast and sit there at your kitchenette and look out the window on the deck and you're to look across the yard and you're to watch the birds. What Jesus is trying to say is, I've given you a command and now I want to 
strengthen that and illustrate for you how you can live out this command because the second thing Jesus is going to say to us is that this is a choice to be made. Not only is this a a command to be obeyed, but it's a choice to be made. And he wants you to know, you've got to choose which master you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the master that sucks the life out of you? The, The money master? The materialism master? Where all of the weight of the cares of this world whereby the more you have, the more you have to worry about? Or are you going to trust your Heavenly Father as your loving Heavenly Father, the master of the universe, the master of your soul, and that He will provide for you? And I want to show you how I do that. I want you to study the birds. Now think about it. Birds work hard. They move around. We'll emphasize that in just a second. But birds, as Jesus says, to what? Look what He says in verse 26. They don't sow... Or reap or gather into barns. After a fashion, they reap, I guess. They pick seed and worms and things. But birds aren't aren't worried about building bigger barns, are they? Like the rich fool, filled with his vision and his anxious vision of how he's going to make his life easier by having more and building bigger and planting more. Birds just kind of work around the yard and work around the fence rows and... Depending on what kind of bird they are, God provides. We're to observe that. Those angleworms that came up from the rain last night and are all over my blacktop and now robins are all over eating them. They didn't put those in the ground. And there they are. And Robin Redbreast having a pretty good day today. I'm supposed to meditate on that. I'm supposed to understand that in the very way that God takes care of birds and In a way, what's lesser than birds? Starlings and blue jays and sparrows. Often in the Bible, a sparrow is used as like the most meaningless bird. And if God knows where the sparrow falls, He knows about you. That's the point. And there it is, the lesser to the greater. If God cares about birds that mark up your car... And he feeds them and they don't have to have storehouses and they don't have bank accounts and they don't have retirement plans. How much more will he take care of you because you're created in his image? You are the ones for whom he sent his son to die. You see how much greater you are than birds. So if he takes care of these little birds, he's going to take care of the big birds. The real people. Those whom he loved and for whom he died. Now, I want to make something clear in our passage. I want to take just a minute. And I want to make sure that we understand that we know what Jesus is not teaching. Because you could kind of let your imagination go here a little bit. And you could read this passage. And you could come up with a theology of slovenliness out of this passage. You could come up with a theology of carelessness. Some kind of theology of, hey, we're supposed to be hippies. Or whatever. I hope I didn't offend any hippies here. If you're a hippie, um, some people think that's cool. Uh, my point is, I think that there's some things Jesus is not teaching. Now, the first one that I think that Jesus is not teaching is um, that planning and saving for the future is wrong or forbidden. That planning and saving for the future is wrong or forbidden. And we have numerous points in scripture. Proverbs says that a 
a good man will leave an inheritance for his children and his children's children. How about the Proverbs 31 woman? How about, how about how she is so commended? This marvelous lady set up as an example of industriousness, industriousness and, and stewardship of life and how she oversees her family and how as the seasons shift, and you can read that in Proverbs 31, and we move from summer into fall into winter, what is she doing? She's planning ahead and she's preparing warm fabric and she's making clothes for her children. And you can see that she's storing up food and she's ready for winter and this is all elevated and commended. I don't think that Jesus is talking about here um, just laying back and not being prepared. It has to do with the hard attitude that Jesus is talking about here. Second thing I think Jesus is not teaching is that he's not teaching that hard work and productivity are evidence of not trusting God. In other words, if you work hard and you're productive, is that an evidence that you're disobeying this passage? Consider the birds. They don't... No, you know what? Birds actually do work hard if you stop and think about it. Let's actually turn to Proverbs chapter 6 on this one, shall we? Um, Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. And if you go to your right, you'll come to Psalms. Uh, it'll come to Proverbs. So Psalms is easy to find. And then the next book is Proverbs. And then find chapter 6. And look beginning with verse 6. Proverbs 6.6. 6. Notice what it says there. Okay, so we're talking about this teaching that Jesus says, Stop worrying. Don't worry about what to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to uh, do tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough evil on its own. Just kind of, hey, 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 let's party, right? No, not at all. He's not teaching that planning and saving for the future is wrong or forbidden. Now, we know that from other scriptures. He's also not teaching that hard work and productivity are evidence of a lack of faith or lack of trusting in God. Notice what he says, what Solomon in all his wisdom wrote. Verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways, and be wise. So we're to be ant watchers, too. And then you watch a bird come eat the ant. <laughs> Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Listen, you cannot find in Scripture a reason to not be productive. You cannot find in Scripture a reason to be lazy. Slovenliness and being a sluggard and not being a hard worker is condemned in Scripture. You young people here especially, listen to me. We live in a kind of a, a video game culture that can breed sluggardliness. Sluggard means you're slow and sleepy and lazy and you don't like to pick up heavy things. Proverbs says, look at the ant and notice and learn from those qualities and build those into your life. And you be productive and you work hard and you take advantage of the opportunities that you have today to plan and to build Shame on us if we're not productive and a double shame on us if we point at Matthew chapter 6 and say, ha, ha, I don't have to be productive. God will just provide for me. Oh, God will provide for you, but not if you have an attitude like that. It's not what Jesus is talking about. I think also a third thing that Jesus is not teaching is that we should never have cares or concerns. I don't think it's 
a legitimate understanding of Matthew chapter 6 that we should never have cares or concerns. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul taught Timothy there that he was to teach the men in the churches that if they did not provide for their families, that they were worse than pagans. So you know, you provide for your family out of a concern, don't you? You get out of bed in the morning so that you can go to work, so that you can pay your bills. You have a weight of responsibility upon you. It's not that you're not to be concerned. If you're a mother of young children, do you have things you're concerned about for those children? Absolutely. Their welfare, their safety, who are their friends. I'm supposed to be careful and concerned and wise about my... It's not that we're to just be lazy old slob dogs that lay back and don't care about nothing. Consider the birds. Look at the flowers of the field. God will clothe them and he'll clothe us. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. What he's talking about is that he is a loving heavenly father who provides for his children. He will meet our needs. And we need to look to him first for how to order the priorities of our lives. Often our anxiety is directly related to our improper priorities. Do you understand that? That we have so invested ourselves and often we have created a sequence of bad decisions so that we are, no, we are now so bogged down and we live under the result, some of us, of years and years of improper priorities and making decisions and then trying to get out from that by making more bad decisions so that we are buried under the cares of this world and we have, we have an overwhelming debt. We don't know what to do about it. And we implode emotionally. We come unglued. We live stressed out. Ultimately, it even takes away our physical health and well-being. Can influence our marriages negatively, divide families, breaks us down. First of all, Jesus said this is a command to be obeyed. Secondly, he says it's a choice to be made. Before we go there, though, let me just suggest quickly a couple things that I think Jesus is teaching. What is Jesus teaching? If he's not teaching these things that we've suggested, what is he teaching? And I think clearly what he's talking about here, number one, look at verse 26b back in Matthew chapter 6. He talks about how your heavenly Father feeds the birds. And you're supposed to learn that, that the heavenly Father cares for His own. Number one, what Jesus is teaching is that we have a loving heavenly Father who will care for His children. Number two, we have a Father who values His children and in whom we can trust. He's going to reference the fact that we need to have faith and believe and not scurry around like the rest of the world. We have a trustworthy God. He doesn't slumber and sleep. We have a trustworthy God who will be faithful to keep His promises. Thirdly, what Jesus is teaching is that anxiety and worry do nothing to solve our problems. Anxiety and worry do nothing to solve our problems. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lives? The idea there of adding a single hour uh, is living longer or walking a little further down the path. You just can't do it. 
You can be anxious. You can worry. He's talking about the fact that if you can be all stressed out, but you can't even add a second to your life. You're not absolutely in control. God is absolutely in control. For most of us, we will not know the last time someone assists us to lie down in our bed and we will never take another step forward. And our lives will be over. You can be anxious, you can stress out, Jesus says, but I'm telling you, worry will do nothing to solve these problems. You cannot even take another step. Fourth thing that... Jesus' teaching is that anxiety is directly linked to a lack of faith in God's provision. Anxiety and worry is directly linked to a lack of faith in God's provision. Let your eyes fall down to the end of verse 30. We've already referenced this, but notice what he says. He's talking about how beautiful the flowers of the field are, which today it's alive and then it's thrown in the oven. In other words, it's again the argument of lesser to greater. A flower only lives for a few weeks and God clothes it, beauti- clothes it beautifully and you're going to live for all of eternity. He's going to take care of you. Will He not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. What's the idea there? The idea there is that when we get anxious about these things, we are, we are saying to God, you're not a trustworthy Heavenly Father. Imagine standing before the Lord someday. And he looks at us and he says, Why were you so stressed out all those years? Why were you overwhelmed with anxiety all of those years? You said you trusted in me. Do you think I couldn't take care of you? And isn't that how we are? We're on the cusp. We're on the razor-thin edge of falling apart and dropping over the cliff of despair because we're so overwhelmed. And then what we do is we fight and we claw and we make even sometimes more bad decisions trying to climb out of it ourselves instead of saying, Okay, Lord, things are looking right for a miracle. Father, I'm going to look to you as my Heavenly Father right now. This is where the choice comes in. It comes in choosing which master I'm going to serve. And this idea of a a choice to be made is that I am going to decide today that I am going to obey Christ. And this is a spiritual discipline. It's not going to happen overnight. But I really wanted you to feel the weight that three times Jesus looks at us and says, Stop worrying. So it's a command to be obeyed. And that we have to then, when there's a command, we have to look at that command and we have to decide, are we going to obey? The Christian life is, this is foundational to the Christian life. Receiving the promises and commands of God and then asking ourselves, am I going to believe that? Am I going to obey that or not? And so it's a choice to be made. Finally, I want you to see that it's a contrast to be displayed. Dealing with anxiety and trusting God to overcome worry is something that should show in our lives. It's a contrast to be displayed. Now look what he says. As you seek first the kingdom of God in all of these things, verse 33, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for Tomorrow will be anxious about itself and we've got to make these choices and react and you let your eyes go back up to the end of verse 30 where he says, Oh, you of little faith, 
Are you going to run around and be just like the Gentiles? In our passage here, verses 31 and 32 then. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you have need of them. You know that it is possible that we are never more like the world that does not know God and is not in Christ when we are overwhelmed with stress and anxiety. Stress and anxiety literally becomes kind of a form of worldliness. I'm reacting just like the rest of the world, but I am a child of the King. I am a son of God, a daughter of God. And he's promised, he's my master, and he's my heavenly father. And this is to show in my life, this teaching of Christ about anxiety and worry is a call on my life to look different than the rest of the world. Shame on us for calling God our loving heavenly father and then acting like we're orphans who have to take care of ourselves by digging in trash cans. This is a, this is a mindset this is a hard attitude. We're going to stop right there this morning. And I'm going to give you homework. Your job this week is to bird watch. Your job this week is to notice birds. I was watching a hawk the other day. I enjoy watching them. This particular hawk was not very high up, maybe about as high as a door, the top of a door, just six or seven feet off the ground. And there was a ditch, and then there was a heavy, thick fence row. And right on the end of the fence row, and the reason I spotted the hawk is because he had his white feathered front facing out of the brush. And his dark colored back was against the brush, but he had his head completely turned around so his eye could watch in the brush. And he was sitting really still, and I just watched him. I didn't have time to wait and see, but he was just waiting. He wasn't in a panic. He wasn't anxious. And then you know what would happen after a little bit? After a little bit, the grass would rustle, and a little leaf would flicker, and little Mousy Mouse would come out, and Hockey Hawk would get Mousy Mouse. And God provided. I'm supposed to learn from that. Our Lord Jesus looks at us and he says, stop worrying. You have to decide. And I want it to show in your lives. Next week, the how to. How do we do this? Because I fully recognize that when you're overwhelmed and when you're coming unglued, you're stressed out. There's not just like this easy button that you push. A little shout out for staples there. <laughs> you wish there was an easy button, but you've been diagnosed with this and you've received these bills and this particular aspect broke down and the kids are over here doing this and all of a sudden on multiple fronts, I am absolutely out of control. I can't pull it together. And I want to just keep my head under my pillow in the morning. And I say, Lord, I can't do another day. What does that look like? You begin to ask God to teach you what that kind of life looks like. Because, you know, in a way, shame on us that the stress level of the church pretty much looks like the stress level of the world.
The worry meter in the church, the needle's pegged way up in the red, just like the worry needle of the, worry needle of the world. There is something really, really wrong about that. Let's bow our heads, shall we? And before I pray this morning, would you ask the Lord to begin to show you how to live out this instruction from Christ? That we are to take this clear instruction and we are to make a specific choice that we are going to trust our Heavenly Father and He's going to show us how to order our lives in such a way that we see on a daily basis His provision and His care. Would you ask God to show you how to begin to cast your cares upon Him? To dump your anxiety at the foot of the cross? To ask God for a discernment to know the difference between the things that you can handle and the things that are out of your control anyway. You know, for some of us, I wonder what we're teaching our kids and our grandkids. We have a huge and great and mighty God, we say, and then we live just like everyone else. That doesn't paint a very great picture of God to our children. It's no wonder that Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, looked at his disciples and he said, when the Son of Man returns, will he even find faith on the earth? And so, Lord, would you please increase our faith and help us to get our eyes off our circumstances and up to you, and through your Holy Spirit, would you begin to teach us how to live in such a way that we can cast our cares upon you. Help us to have a growing faith and an understanding of how our faith and our walk with you coupled with the wisdom to know how to work hard and to live ordered lives brings the end result of a worry-free life, of a life where our anxiety meter is barely bumping. We thank you that you are a great God and a loving Heavenly Father and that you won't drop us that you don't slumber and sleep, that your resources are inexhaustible, and that your promises are always true. And I thank you that you know us so intimately that you know even the hairs on our head and how many steps we're going to take in our lifetime. And so help us to have victory over anxiety and worry, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.